Good morning, everyone. My name is Jackie Robinson Ivy, and I am a board member of the City Club of Chicago. We welcome you to today's presentation by none other than Congresswoman Robin Kelly. We welcome her. Before I introduce the Congresswoman, I'd like to make sure that I acknowledge our board, um, our chairman, Dr. Ed Mazur, and uh, our wonderful staff here. We could not do what we do without them. Um, I would also like to remind you that if you have questions, please make sure that you put them in the chat and we will make sure that post the presentation from the Congresswoman that we are able to answer them. I'd like to thank our, our sponsors today, um, CRRC, SciFang America, and Millhouse Engineering and Construction. I'm gonna do a brief, well, I think a brief introduction uh, bio of my dear friend, Congresswoman Robin Kelly. It is my honor to uh, be presenting with her today. Congresswoman Robin Kelly has dedicated her career to public service as an advocate for Illinois families. She's being elected, she's, since being elected to serve the second congressional district in 2013, she has worked to expand economic opportunity, community wellness, and safe public safety across the state, championing numerous initiatives to generate job growth, reduce health disparities, and to end gun violence. Congresswoman Kelly is a member of the House Energy and Commerce Committee, and I believe she serves as vice chair there. She serves on the Health, Energy, and Consumer Protection and Commerce Subcommittees. Her energy and commerce work is focused on expanding access to healthcare, consumer protection for American families, and economic development. Additionally, she, is also, she also represents the Midwest Region 4 on the House Democratic Steering and Policy Committee, which sets the policy direction of the Democratic Caucus and serves as member of the House Democratic Partnership. In 2014, Congresswoman Kelly wrote a report on gun violence in America, the first ever congressional analysis of the nation's gun violence epidemic that offers a blueprint for ending gun violence. Committed to improving the health and wellness of vulnerable communities across the country, the Congresswoman serves as the Vice Chair of Energy and Commerce again, and also the Chair of the Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust and co-chairs the Congressional Caucus on Black Women and Girls. She also co-chairs the House Democratic Policy Group Policy and House Tech Accountability Caucus. Try to say that three times fast. Prior to her election to Congress, Kelly was a member of the Illinois House of Representatives and served as Chief Administrative Officer to Cook County, the second largest county in the United States. And she was also Chief of Staff to Illinois State Treasurer, then Treasurer Alexi Junulius, becoming the first African-American woman to serve as Chief of Staff to any constitutional elected statewide office holder. Robin is the daughter of a small business owner and postal worker. Congresswoman Kelly moved to Illinois to attend Bradley University in Peoria, where she earned her BA in psychology and an MA in counseling. She later received her PhD in political science from Northern Illinois University. She lives in Matson with her husband, Dr. Nathaniel Horn, and they have two children, Kelly and Ryan. So we don't often say this, but I present to you not just Congresswoman, but also Dr. Robin Kelly. Thank you so much, Jackie. And it's so wonderful to see you, even though it is virtually. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for inviting me to speak today. Although I cannot be with you in person, I'm happy to be joining you virtually. We are nearing, I hope, the light at the end of the COVID-19 tunnel, and I'm hopeful that soon it will be safe for us to gather together again. What a relentlessly challenging year this has been for our city and for our country. To date, we have lost nearly 24,000 Illinois residents to COVID-19 and more than 555,000 Americans. 
I know the pain so many families are facing because I myself lost two loved ones to COVID-19. Additionally, countless businesses have closed their doors for good. People have lost jobs and children have had to go to school online. But thankfully, the tides are beginning to turn and soon we will finally crush this virus. In Illinois, we have fully vaccinated nearly 19% of our population and almost 35% have received at least one dose. I know Mayor Lightfoot has announced that everyone in Chicago, 16 and older, will be eligible to receive that vaccine on April 19th. I know that Johnson & Johnson had some mishaps, so that might affect that date, but hopefully we will be on track soon. Current projections indicate that 50% of Illinois residents will be fully vaccinated by July 5th, and at this rate, 85% should be fully vaccinated by October 15th. So at the current rate, the United States as a whole is projected to have 85% of our population fully vaccinated by September 6th. These are exciting numbers, and hopefully our vaccination rates will only continue to increase as a result of the American Rescue Plan and the additional resources it provides to quickly get shots into arms. The American Rescue Plan is good news for Illinois. Just a few of the provisions it includes are $8.2 billion in state fiscal relief, $5.2 billion in local fiscal relief, more than $52 billion in relief for K-12 schools, and a monthly child tax credit to the families of 2.5 million children that will lift 153,000 children out of poverty. An additional relief of up to nearly $1,000 through the Earned Income Tax Credit to 620,000 childless workers, including many in frontline jobs. Lower marketplace health insurance premiums for many who qualify. And crucial relief for the hardest hit small businesses through the EIDL grants and expanded PPP eligibility. As the immediate crisis of the COVID-19 pandemic begins to recede, we must quickly return our focus back to the many other concurrent epidemics that continue to affect our nation. Over the past year, we've seen a rise in racially motivated attacks, many against our Asian American and Pacific Islander community members. Of course, we've all heard about the terrible shootings that took place in Georgia, but there have been nearly daily attacks of AAPI individuals in major cities across the country. When we see hatred and violence, we must speak up and cast it out. The recent rise in hate crimes is despicable and it is inexcusable. Throughout the past four years, we have all watched as folks across our nation increasingly otherize one another, be it for political, religious, racial, ethnic, or other reasons. Much of this hate has been motivated by false narratives, misleading or untrue headlines, and in some cases, just plain, just plain old meanness. meanness. One of the worst examples of the dangers and power of false news was the January 6th attack on our Capitol. I was in the gallery just above the House floor on January 6th, watching as we voted to certify the results of the election for each state when the violent mob of insurrectionists breached the Capitol. We were told to put on our gas masks, take off our badges, and any other identifying items we were wearing. I was on my hands and knees on the floor behind the wall that protects us from falling onto the House floor. 
And many of my colleagues and I wondered, would we make it out of the building alive? Ultimately, Capitol Police led us through the hallways to a secure location where we waited for many hours. It was terrifying and agonizing to walk through the hallways where one insurrectionist had just been killed, where we would later learn Capitol Police Officer Brian Sicknick had been murdered, where we saw Capitol Police officers with their guns drawn, where we saw glass and zip tie handcuffs and broken pieces of our beautiful Capitol, the center of our nation's democracy, littering the ground. Even in the secure room, we were not totally safe because some of my colleagues refused to wear their masks. Many were exposed to COVID and some members and their families ended up contracting COVID from that event. Since the January 6th attack, our Capitol has been fenced off, largely unavailable to the public. These security precautions make sense, but it does not make them any less sad to see. Just as we began to remove some of this fencing, last week, another Capitol Police officer, Billy Evans, was senselessly run down with a car and murdered right outside the Capitol building. Another Capitol Police officer was seriously injured in that attack, and our community's already tenuous sense of security was once again shattered. We have a lot of work to do to repair our nation, and it is time to rebuild. We cannot go on accepting this rapidly increasing violence, regardless of the cause. In addition to large-scale events, we are seeing an increase in day-to-day -day deadly violence. Gun violence, as you know, is on the rise in Chicago. Data indicates that gun violence rose last year despite the COVID-19 pandemic. Just earlier this week, we saw a road rage incident that resulted in a baby being shot. He's in a coma now. Each week, we hear stories of folks shot at parties in parks, driving on our streets, or simply walking on our sidewalks. Day after day, week after week, the death toll of gun violence tragically rises, not only here, but across this country. I am devastated for each and every family who has lost someone to gun violence, and I am committed to advocating for policies and legislation that will help save lives and end this terrible epidemic. And I'm happy to see that today it might be going on right now uh, that President Biden is announcing his initiatives uh, that he wants to take and those that he can take without legislation since we have seems like we have such a hard time in getting things passed. And some of the things he's uh, will share today are things that I've been working on. But so far in Congress, I've sponsored and co-sponsored several bills to combat violence. In March, I had the honor of presiding over the House floor as we voted to pass H.R. 8, the Bipartisan Background Checks Act of 2021 and H.R. 1446, the Enhanced Background Check Act of 2021. The Bipartisan Background Check Act will require a background check for every gun sale or transfer with some reasonable and explicit exceptions. The Enhanced Background Checks Act of 2021 would address the Charleston loophole, which currently allows the sale of a firearm to proceed if a background check is not completed within three business days. This bill will extend the background check period to 10 business days, allowing federal investigators more time to complete a thorough investigation. You know, this, we call it the Charleston loophole because of what happened in Charleston. After three days, there wasn't a definitive no to uh, uh Dylan being able to get a gun. So the gun shop sold him the gun and we know the rest of the story. And then a few days later, it came back, it came across that he should not have been sold the gun. 
Just last week, I introduced my bill to prevent gun trafficking to combat illegal purchases and transfers. In Illinois, we have strict gun laws to protect our residents, but unfortunately, the states around us do not. According to the Chicago Police Department, more than half the guns used in the commission of crimes in Chicago and the surrounding areas come from out of state. Gun trafficking is a serious, pervasive problem, and we need laws in place to establish criminal penalties for those who illegally sell or transfer firearms. Preventing store purchasing and gun trafficking is one major step we can take to save lives and curb the gun violence epidemic. And I know uh, trafficking is something that the president will be speaking about today. But this bill would specify the prohibition of store purchasing of firearms, making store purchasing a federal crime. It would also require the attorney general to ensure that gun purchasing transactions clearly state the penalties for violating federal and anti-trafficking law. I serve as the vice chair of the Congressional Gun Violence Prevention Task Force, and I will continue working with my colleagues, my constituents, and advocacy groups to stop gun violence and save the lives of folks in our communities. The events of the past year have also shed more light on another pre-existing issue, health disparities. The racial disparities illuminated by COVID-19 pandemic are shocking, but not surprising. We know that generations of health disparities and lack of access have created a two-tier system in which many Americans are forced to live shorter, less healthy lives. Healthcare and access to healthcare are some of the most critical issues facing Illinois families. We all want to keep ourselves healthy, but too often families experience barriers to care or lack of access to care. And I'm working to change that because healthcare is a human right. As chair of the Congressional Black Caucus Health Brain Trust, I lead one of Congress's principal healthcare advisory task forces. We have a duty to ensure that all Americans have access to quality, affordable healthcare when they need it. One of the most pressing health disparity issues I've been working on for years is maternal mortality. The CDC has just released data showing that the maternal mortality rate in 2019, from 2018 to 2019, maternal mortality increased from 17.4 deaths per 100,000 lives per to 20.1. Despite uh, our country being the richest in the world and having, you know, wonderful healthcare, wonderful doctors, uh, we rank very poorly when it comes to maternal mortality. For women of color, the data is even far more staggering. The 2019 maternal mortality rate for non-Hispanic Black women of 44 per 100,000 was 2.5 times the rate of non-Hispanic white women and 3.5 times the rate for Hispanic women. This tragic and worsening crisis is a deafening alarm warning us that we need to do more. Each mother who dies from complications of childbirth leaves behind a hole in our families and in our communities. Earlier this year, I introduced Best Practices for Healthy Moms Act, which will require the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services to publish guidance for maternal care providers on how to prevent maternal mortality and morbidity. Last month, I worked with my co-chairs of the Congressional Caucus on Black Women and Girls to release the first ever report on Black women and girls in America. In this report, I highlighted some of the key policies we should enact to combat maternal mortality. This year has laid bare to so many of our nation's deeply rooted 
and urgent problems. But I think we have an opportunity to make real change this Congress. Already we are seeing progress and rebuilding on the other side of COVID with the American Rescue Plan bringing back money into our communities. In the coming weeks, we will also begin to consider President Biden's infrastructure bill, the American Jobs Plan. I look forward to further reviewing this plan and working with my colleagues to improve not only our transportation system and our energy system, but also to connect more folks to broadband. As many of you know, my district is urban, suburban, and rural. And many parts, particularly of my rural district, is very difficult for them to uh, go online. So that makes it hard for e-learning. It makes it hard for telehealth that was used so much, uh, is, is being used so much during this COVID-19 pandemic. So we definitely have to do something about that. Also, there's money available for infrastructure as far as healthcare and as far as our schools to build our schools back better so they're prepared uh, to be schools in the 21st century or to educate the 21st century. We have a long road ahead of us, but I'm committed to continuing the work in Washington and to make our communities here in Chicago and the South suburbs a better place for everyone. Thank you so much again for inviting me, and I look forward to your questions. Thank you so much, Congresswoman. You covered so much in such a little bit of time. And um, let me just um, say thank you for missing the president's uh, speech today on your most important topic, which is gun control. I saw it on the news this morning and I was like, oh, I didn't realize that it would coincide, but thank you for taking time for the City Club uh, family. We certainly are, are happy you did so. Um, so let's get into some questions. I usually give the speaker a little bit. This is normally where if we were live, yep, you take a time to get some water or some tea and kind of get yourself together. I wanna give you time to do that for after talking for such a few minutes. Um, we have several questions, um, but I'm sure that there will be more coming in. Uh, Gayla Brockman actually asked a question about um, gun violence, but it seems that you covered most of it. So Gayla, I'm going to pass on your question only because she literally covered all of your topics while she was talking. Um, I think we want to start with one question I think I can ask, and if I can't, just say we need to bypass it. But as the newly elected chair of the Democratic Party of Illinois, what is your forecast for um, how we are going to um, move forward? Martin Matthews um, of Merkinco says that he's concerned that many of our uh, Democratic legis legislators may be sunsetting or moving on to new things um, as the population changes, as we grow um as we grow differently in the Democratic Party. So can you talk about that a little bit, what your plans are? Sure. Well, um, it's interesting you asked the question because we have our the end of our transition period tonight where all the people that served on the transition team, which was about 60, and then we had uh, you know ideas and suggestions come in from all over the place um, in Illinois. So we're going to meet tonight to hear uh, the recommendations. But I had seven subcommittees that dealt with the transition operations, bylaws, finance and fundraising, programs and training, uh, recruitment, bench building, and special outreach, and then messaging and communication. I think that's all of them. But in that, that's, you know, we're planning how we can build uh, a stronger party. I know people say we're a blue state, but there's a lot of places where there's still a lot of red. And um, and uh, Democrats feel like, you know, 
we need to do more to pull, and I feel like to pull those Democrats out, those independents, and depending on who's running, the moderate Republicans. So we're planning to see how we can grow the party, not only grow the the party, get more people registered and get more people voting. When I think about what happened on Tuesday, the turnout was so low and every election is important at every level of government. That's how we build the bench. You know, people have to take more interest in their local elections, their school boards. I know Chicago doesn't elect the school board, but, you know, the birds do. And we have to be more engaged. We have to be more active and we have to get good people to step up. You don't have to serve forever, but, you know, but to get good people to step up to serve in our various um, like libraries, schools, municipal, very important. I was happy to see that there were quite a few people. I voted on Saturday or did I vote on Sunday? I can't remember, but there were a number of people there. Um, I didn't have to wait in a long line, but there were a good amount of people and I live in the suburbs. So it was, it was good to see people out and about. Um, so let's get into a couple of questions about healthcare. Um, Donald Dew, <coughs> excuse me, of Habilitative Services Inc. says, um, can you discuss current strategies that address behavioral health disparities, especially in light of the increased suicide, increased suicide and opioid related deaths? And what I'd like you to talk about there is, um, not just the opioid death, but how you all in Washington are actually dealing with how we got there. You know, um, we know that addiction has been around for a very, very long time, but um, started getting attention and started getting um, a, the light shined on it when when opioids became um, in many places suburban and rural. Um, it then became an epidemic. Um, you know that when it was an intercity urban issue, it was, you know, oh, they're addicted to crack and, you know, that's too bad. Um but then it became a real issue when prescription drugs and things like that uh, came to the light. So can you talk about that a little bit and what you're planning on doing, what what you all are doing in, in Washington? On that? Well, one thing what you've described is the issues around um, institutionalized or systemic racism that, you know, when it was uh, an urban problem, you know, uh, then it was, you know, uh, like you said, crack or let's throw them in jail. But when it became uh, suburban, but even more a rural problem, that's when uh, there was a, more attention paid to it. So um, right now, really the bottom line is uh, with the appropriators, the appropriation committee, more money, more resources is being put into dealing with the opioid crisis. There is actually a bipartisan, I'm not sure if it's bicameral, but I know bipartisan group that um, is actually dealing you know, with the opioid crisis and there's uh, people on it from, you know, all over. We just want to make sure, you know, like in the Congressional Black Caucus, when issues have come up, we, you know, we, we brought up when it was us, you know, people got put in jail, not put in rehab, but changed, you know, then things changed, you know, which we're glad the rules and the laws changed and all of that. But, you know, it's just a reminder of the disparities, but, but, what I can tell you in high Donald that um, more money is being put into um, uh, resources and uh, for treatment uh, for, um, you know, uh, facilities that deal with people um, that have opioids. And then also there were different, uh, now this happened a little bit ago about, um, you know, different rules and regs for doctors and different training about opioids, um, you know, and how they could and should be used. Um, just to piggyback off of that, Z, another good friend, Z Scott says, thank you for your remarks first. And then she says, what initiatives are before the house? But you've just kind of talked about some of that. So, um, 
I guess maybe Z caller, you can talk about the specific well, things. Well, I mean, that- the things that we're, um, you know, we passed the American Rescue Plan. We passed um, uh, HR1, which deals with voting rights. And then I expect um, uh, the other part of that to come up soon. And also, um, you know, we uh, George Floyd, justice and policing, but all these things, uh, you know, we're trying to get passed in the Senate. And uh, we'll be dealing with, um, the infrastructure bill, you know, to build it back better. And like I said, that is an infrastructure bill, a jobs bill. So uh, that'll be um, another thing, you know, coming up uh, on our plates. And then um, again, trying to get, pass it in the house, the, the gun violence, the two gun violence prevention bills, but waiting for it to pass in the Senate, even though we're Democrat, 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 but you guys know how tight it is, I, you know, 48 Dems in the Senate, two independents that caucus with us, but, we are not monolithic. And um, as I say, we have from AOC to Joe Manchin, you know, so um, even with um, the uh, infrastructure bill, you know, people want more, but we do have to do what is going to get passed. The other thing coming up is uh, issues around immigration, um, uh, uh, you know, bills um, around that to, you know, give them the tools they need to deal with, you know, what's happening on the border. Um, it's, stick a pin in that just for a second. I just want to say thank you to Z, who's a good city club member and a couple of others who are um, coming up with these great questions, which are so important to us. I know that Z has a concern about health disparities because of the great uh, work that she's doing out at Chicago State and, uh, you know, that great pharmacy school that she's got and everything. So I'm sure that means a lot to her. So thank you, Z. Um, let's go back to what you just mentioned about the whole immigration situation. We know that the vice president has been given charge over how to deal with a lot of the issues that the border. Um, Everyone has seen the news um, over the last 48 hours or so with a little four-year-old boy who, um, you know, was left. And then the day before that, there were the two children, the two sisters, one two and one five, I believe, who were literally dumped over the the border wall. Um, What is the talk that's going on there outside of what the vice president has been assigned to do by the president? What are you all looking at with respect to immigration? Well, um, First of all, with dreamers, you know, we're trying to um, um, make a way for them. Um, And also we worked with um, I don't have the exact name in front of me, but we passed a bill that deals with um, farm workers, migrant workers. That was very supported because, I mean, farmers, I believe the chamber and different people like that, they know, you know, how uh, these workers help move our economy. And we know in Illinois how important agriculture is. So uh, we pass those bills. And again, you know, waiting for them to be taken up, you know, in the Senate, but I'm sure um, um, Senator Schumer or Leader Schumer doesn't want to, um, you know, he wants to make sure they're going to pass when uh, he takes them up. But with that, I would think that even senators in rural areas, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, they realize how important this bill is to our economy. And then of course, the big one, um, that we're still working on. Uh, Linda Sanchez has been a big part of it. My colleague from California working with the administration is um, a new path to citizenship. What are we going to do? Because we can't continue like this. And then, of course, uh, more um, resources so we can get all these kids that came over. These kids, um, a lot of them had actually been in a holding spot in Mexico under the former administration. So then when the president um, changed some of the rules. That's why so many kids came over and he's not going to send the kids back 
you know, on their own, but it's just such a flood, you know, of young people. And uh, we need to get, you know, we, we, we do, we need to have more staff. They're working as fast as they can. And, and we need to have more support for the board of police because it's not there. They're not social workers. They're not, you know, teachers and not et cetera, you know, my, my point. And we need to get uh, more people to deal with the kids and get them to their, some of them have family members to get them to their family members as soon as possible. I know that young man, uh, I can't remember. I think he went to, I don't know if he went to El Paso or someplace in California. Well, that's good to know that, that he did get somewhere. Um, yeah, you he are, has family here. Yeah. Poor thing. It was just very touching, you know, to see I him. Know, on the, so sad. You know, you have, um, you know, we, we have the advantage of having a few minutes to talk with you today and you have your ear to the ground, you know, there in Washington. Um, with respect to this whole bipartisanship uh, situation, we hear a lot of the pre- we hear the president talking a lot about how he wants things to be bipartisan. He wants, you know, the Republicans to come to the table as well as Democrats. He's called in, you know, various people, joint committees and this and that. Are you seeing any movement or are you still seeing it very, very much um, voting and things like that along party lines? Well, you know, I know, I think people, I, I've talked about this at City Club before. I work in a very bipartisan manner and I'm not the only one. You know, other people do also. And there's legislation like that, my maternal mortality legislation about best practices. I'm doing it with the Republican rep ladder. You know, we all can talk about Republicans that we're working with. But, um, and we also wanted to, we want to unify as much as possible and support the president. But I'm not going to lie. January 6th did something to many of us. You know, um, we know that some of our colleagues, you know, were involved in that. They were giving speeches to the people that later, you know, came into the Capitol carrying the Confederate flag. We saw who did not vote for uh, President Biden's, um, you know, uh, uh, election to be certified. It's very difficult to you know, work with people like that, that are just being negative to be negative is very, very difficult. So, but we're still trying, but polling shows that people want us to get things done and they want us to do it. You know, we can be bipartisan, but um, this country has been through such a crisis that we're going to get things done. You know, that's just the bottom line. He has hit the ground running and he's coming in a very tough time. He and the vice president but they are trying to get things done and they're going to get, at least in the house, we still have the numbers, you know, and hopefully in the Senate, you know, that'll come through, but people need our, our help now. And the American rescue plan, even though it didn't have one vote from the other side, it's bipartisan in this country. Check any of the polls. Well, and I think with your point about um, the fact that people want to get things done, both Republicans and Democrats want to see Washington getting things done. So, and you did very much talk about that at your last city club speech. We um, were actually hoping that you would have brought out some Garrett's popcorn for everybody, but <laughs> we'll um, have to see if we can. I just started uh, bringing Garrett's back to DC again, because we, you know, we still vote in groups because yeah. of COVID. So we don't, see each other as much unless you're on committee on a zoom together and people can still proxy vote because 
you know, of COVID yeah. and if people have, you know, we're, we're just regular people too. So pre-existing conditions and, you yeah. know, things like that. So it's a little different. I just started bringing some popcorn back. Well, who doesn't love Garrett's? Garrett's can, can, <laughs> can solve the world's problems. Um, so Creola Hampton of Greater Works Inc. says chronic illness is continually disproportionately higher among non-Hispanic African-Americans, though 15% of the population, Black people compromise 42% of COVID deaths and 48% of HIV diagnosis. What is your plan for addressing this healthcare inequity? Well, we've been addressing, um, um, well, AIDS from a long time ago with Barbara Lee. You know, she's done so much work around the world and they, you know, the CBC is actually responsible, you know, for the change of where resources went and who received resources. But as far as COVID, myself, Barbara Lee and Karen Bass, she's the former head of the CBC. Uh, we have been working on this it was our language that got in the bill as far as resources and things like that. So, um, you know, we're trying to do everything we can. And as far as education, awareness, you know, mobile vans, we've had, uh, I've hosted national and local um, um, uh, awareness um, events or seminars or whatever you want to call them around COVID because people talked about hesitancy, but yeah, hesitancy is a part of it, but access uh, was a bigger part of it. Why African Americans, in particular, uh, um, were not getting um, the COVID shot? So we we try to deal with the hesitancy, but also we put money in. So there'll be mobile vans. There'll be more, um, you know, places where you can go and get your uh, vaccines. And uh, we're just trying to push people, you know, to do it. And that, and also the other thing that comes into it is the lack of. Um, being able to get online and broadband that you had to do so much through, um, you know, through online, even though people have gotten very creative, you know, we've heard through the country and then, you know, churches getting involved and, and different people like that. But we've definitely put, you know, more money into uh, resources and education and mobile vans and different things like that. And we're like in my district, um, um, uh, different places like the Family Christian Health Center or the Christian Families, two different ones. They've gotten six million dollars already to uh, for um, you know vaccines and testing and that kind of thing. I just had a roundtable with them yesterday. Aunt Martha's, uh, who's been very active, received money. So we're trying to get the money to the community uh, healthcare agencies that are in touch with the people on the ground, with the everyday uh, public in our neighborhoods. Well, and that's what matters at the end of the day. Um, you mentioned that your district is urban, suburban, and rural. You know, you get the you get the whole hodgepodge, the whole pot. Um, it's so important to understand that there are many people who don't have access to Wi-Fi or, you know, in many days, those of us who do have access to Wi-Fi, it's slow or, you know, whatever. So um, it's so important to know that those things are actually going on in Washington. So thank you for that. And, um, and Chicago State, you mentioned uh, yes. President Z. Scott and what they're doing at uh, Chicago State uh, uh, vaccinating. And we I'm glad that the age keeps going down because that's where you see some of the issue. And and and, and when you you know, I want to scream when I saw uh, Miami Beach and, you know, South Beach, like, come on. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and the pop- do so much. People have to be responsible, too. We, we can put it out there, mm-hmm. but people have to follow, you know, Mass, social distancing, washing your hands. People have to follow that also. Even those, who, even those who are still fully vaccinated should be masking and social sure. distancing. 
um, you know, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, some of us can actually get out to see one another, but we still need to be careful. And not only the young people that went to Miami Beach, but then there's the, I think it was 49% of the, um, I don't know if it was actually the Republican Party, but there was a, a large number of people who don't plan on getting vaccinated, which I think is just, that's just a very interesting statistic. But so. we have colleagues that haven't gotten vaccinated yet. Mm. Yeah, that's why we're still um, voting like we're voting. Um, mm. um, I think uh, Speaker Pelosi is waiting for a little bit higher. Many of us have been, you mm. know, but there still might be a certain percentage that has not. So she's trying to wait until that um, percentage decreases before we all can come on the floor. Go back in. Yeah, that makes sense. So Deneen Jacino, I hope I'm saying her name right, from the Illinois, you may know her from the Alzheimer's Association of Illinois. Um, she says, will you support $289 million for research funding at NIH and $20 million to continue implementation of the bold infrastructure for Alzheimer's Act at the CDC? I guess that might be in the fiscal budget for 22. And just, I think she just wants to know your thoughts on that. Uh -oh. uh, they know that I've always supported uh, the Alzheimer's organization. I went with them to um, a certain area in my district. I've always been, you know, supportive. I don't know what the exact budget is, but I've always been supported, uh, you know, of the organization always. And what Great, which is so important. Um, so John Litchfield, I'm not sure if he's a member or not, but thank you for your question, John. Hi, John. What, are your, yeah. what are your predictions of, on the likelihood the Equality Act will pass the Senate, this Congress, are there any bipartisan efforts to bring over the 10 Republicans? If so, can you talk about who those Republicans might be? I don't know if you can get into that. But. Yeah, I, I don't I can't give you, you know, the most updated. Uh, I, I will find out from Cicilline and call you and let you know. But, um, um, you know, we're hoping I know um, uh, David Cicilline is definitely pushing for us to you know, get that done. But, you know, it's so hard to speak for the Senate and what they uh, might do. It's just so hard. Hopefully, um, again, they'll follow what most Americans want <laughs> and they want that passed. Uh, but there's no guarantees. Well, John, you get the you, you heard her. She said she'll she'll, I'll she'll get back she'll with you, John. <laughs> um, so we talked about you talked about in your speech, H.R. 8 and H.R. 1446. Um, the president is probably, as we said, speaking right now about straw purchasing and ghost guns and, and red flags and things like that. Uh, can you give us the, you know, the everyday since we have the advantage of having you here, just the everyday, you know, person? what that whittles down to for us, you know, what that means about ghost guns. And some people don't really know what ghost guns are. Can you talk about that? And then um, red flag, um, the red red flag, is it the situation or what? Well, I don't know exactly how to say yeah. that. Red flag laws. Red flag I mean, laws. Okay. If you, if someone, if you think, you know, someone in your family or even a friend is in danger uh, to themselves or somebody else, that you could report that uh, to the, authorities and they can come in, you know, and uh, take their guns or, you know, whatever um, they need to do. And actually it came up um, the last, um, oh, the Boulder shooting that the family said he, the person was acting strange a couple of days before he was playing with his gun that he just purchased, you know, the week before and red flag law could have played, you know, into uh, that situation. Ghost guns, um, you don't go through, um, you don't go to a, store, you can get the parts and then put the gun together yourself. And then trafficking is something um, that I have 
preached about, screamed about everything. Uh, you can ask my Democratic colleagues. Um, I totally, of course, believe in background checks and all of that. But in our area, not only our area, we need national um, legislation around uh, trafficking. And when I go to D.C., and uh, especially if Chicago had a particularly high number, you know, they'll say, what is happening there? And when I explain to them, and, you know, they'll say Chicago has the tough, toughest gun laws. And I said, yeah, but no one else around us does. Since I've been in Congress, Wisconsin and Indiana's laws have gotten easier, you know, uh, uh, not tougher, you know, to buy a gun. And I said, that's where, you know, a lot of our uh, crime guns are coming from. So we need national attention to it. And the um, uh, ATF has said that they've been starved, so they don't have the resources to really do their job. So I'm glad the person that um, President Biden put in charge, he actually comes from uh, the Gifford group. So he's a gun safety advocate. I know a lot of people think we're against guns. I'm not against guns. I come from a family of law enforcement. My grandfather was a hunter. We had a store that he kept his rifle in the back. I walked over to go to the bathroom every day that I was there. But we want gun safety. You know, that that's what we talk about. Too many people are killing other people or killing themselves. So, um, I mean, that's what this is about. Then also the other part of it is, is not just about the legislation. It's about investing in communities. We have to give people hope and opportunity, you know, so they're picking up, you know, um, books and job skills and, you know, whatever their hobby might be or their uh, craft or whatever, and not picking up guns. They, they have an out, you know, from their uh, situation. We, um, Everyone can recall in their mind seeing the picture of you and um, our beloved Congressman, Congressman John Lewis, you know, on the House floor. I think you had just literally gotten to Congress and, um, you know, hadn't been there long. And that picture of you kneeling will certainly go down, um, you know, in history. And we thank you for, for, for that part of your story. We thank you for that. We, we, we planned that uh, sit-in. We didn't even tell uh, Nancy Pelosi or Steny. They didn't even know because we didn't want anybody to stop us. But we had just gotten so frustrated. That's when Pulse happened. Pulse mm -hmm. happened. Then what was ever happening in the urban areas. And then one young lady in the same area as Pulse, some, when she performed and someone came and shot her right in front of everyone. So that's when I really made my speech to the Democratic, uh, my Democratic colleagues that we spoke, we spent a half hour speaking about Pulse. Mm -hmm. but we didn't say one word about the individual that died. And do you have to die with other people to count? You know, we, you know, we yeah. used to do moments of silence, but um, that proved to me one person can make a difference because I, I sat down when 434 people stood up and then um, my colleague who we just lost, Alcee Hastings said he didn't yeah. want to sit by himself. And two days later, it was so close because it was happening so often. Mm -hmm. He sat next to me and then it just more and more people started sitting down or leaving the floor because a moment of silence is not enough. Not enough yeah. I certainly um, send condolences to you and the rest of the house on the loss of Congressman Hastings. Yeah, he's a beloved guy. Um, Christy De Laurentiis says, Congresswoman, we're grateful for uh, your, we're grateful for your district, which includes the South suburbs. In spite of strategic location, we've faced economic hardship for decades. Can you speak about goals of the new federal infrastructure program for rebuilding communities, especially those that have been disproportionately impacted by COVID? That's a great question, Christy. Well, as I said, you know, um, this infrastructure not only deals with what people think of roads, bridges, 
tunnels, water, but it also deals with uh, infrastructure around broadband, which will help. I could think of some of my communities, if they had access, then businesses, you know, would come. But it's tough to bring a business there and you can't get online. And then also uh, building um, um, the healthcare infrastructure back better, whether it's, you know, hospitals or depending on the community. And then the same thing uh, for schools. What I have told all my mayors, you know, I'm keeping them informed, but it depends on uh, the mayors or, you know, um, you know, to also uh, apply, you know, for grants. Tell us what you need. Uh, you know, de- it greatly depends on that also. So, Christy, I know all, you work with all those mayors, so you need to help me make sure. And some things were due, are due tomorrow, actually, you know, that uh, they're getting in their requests, what their needs are. You know, I meet with the Army Corps of Engineers and we um, help different communities get their system, their sewer systems and all of that um, uh, together. We're um, trying to help. Um, I, I, I swear, I'm, I, I have to do this. Uh, Leslie has talked to me about Promontory Point that's high on our list to get that straight and the flooding that goes um, uh, south in my district on up Lakeshore Drive in the city. That's one of the projects I'm pushing, um, you know, to get that done so people are not flooded out of their, you know, homes. So in Promontory Point, you know, that's such a destination, you know, on the south side of Chicago. So we're working on things like that. And um, I'm, I'm trying to educate people as fast as I can about, um, you know, what's out there and what's available. Thank you so much. Um, sp- speaking of building back better, um, which I love that term. I just love <laughs> the fact that um, you all use it. I don't know William Eager, but maybe you do. But thank you for the question, William. Um, given the slim Democratic edge in the House and the even slimmer edge in the Senate, um, and the frequency with which midterm elections go against incumbency. I think I just heard uh, on NBC, it was something like 64% of the time, you know, the the House will flip during uh, in between a general election. What do you think needs to be the election strategy over the next 12 to 18 months? We need to get our message out. We need to get out that we passed the American Rescue Plan, that we, we didn't have one Republican vote, that we did that. We, you know, um, got uh, money to businesses. We got, you know, money to individuals. We put more money in to um, COVID testing, uh, vaccinations, contact tracing. We did all of that money to help schools so they could open up, they could have the ventilation they need or whatever it is that they do need that we did that, you know, without any help. And we're continuing under um, President Biden and Vice President Harris's leadership uh, to get more things done. And also we're trying to open up, um, you know, be more ethical around voting and, uh, um, and, and pull more people into the system, but it's communication and, and messaging. You know, we, we have to do, you know, a better job. Also, we can have overarching, um, messages and communication, but also we know politics is local. So we have to rely on the people in those specific areas that, you know, what works for, you know, that area have the overarching value, but also, you know, everybody doesn't um, get their messages in the same way. You know what I mean? So we, 
we have to make sure that we are touching the people we need to touch and leave no stone unturned. That's what I say about Illinois. That yes, we know we have some very red areas, but we still need to go into those areas because Absolutely. we don't want to go backwards. And you're right. And and even in the House, we're getting slimmer because we lost Cedric, um, Marsha Fudge, and Deb Holland to the Biden administration. Then we just lost uh, Alcee Hastings, lost his battle with cancer. So we're four Democrats down now. Gosh, um, you know, uh, when we're talking about the whole building back better and the way that we're um, the way that we see things again, this is, you know, our ability to talk to someone who is actually in the action in D.C. Um, with the voting laws that we're seeing being passed or being attempted to be passed across the country, uh, Georgia, um, now Texas, and I believe there are several others, 243 laws total. Um what is, you know, now we're hearing people in Texas who are now saying that they're not calling it a voter, they're, they're saying it's not voter disparity, they're saying it's voter, they're correcting something. Um, what, is, what are your thoughts on this, this whole situation? I think Georgia is a, a special situation because of they had, they had um, you know, the, the Democratic wins uh, for both Senate houses. But what is the real, uh, I want to say, uh, I have to be really careful when, I, when I'm talking to friends because I want to know what's the real skinny on that. But what's the real uh, conversation about the voter laws that are trying to be passed across the country? The real conversation is if um, we had President Trump instead of President Biden, we wouldn't be hearing about any of this. I mean, that, you know, we've talked about that over and over. And also they're stymieing the black and brown communities without a doubt, you know, um, um, it is voter suppression that, I mean, we're, we're supposed to be a democratic, the democratic nation and we should make it easier for people to vote. And even, um, uh, the, uh, secretary of state or whoever it was in Georgia and other places, they found no fraud. They found no fraud. So this is another, um, um, continuation of the big lie. You know what I mean? Uh, that, Biden didn't really win. And again, you know, I don't like to put one broad brush on anybody. Uh, I work in a very, you know, bipartisan way, but this is so frustrating. And it's not only that, um, you know, President Biden won, but also Warnoff and Ossoff. And, you know, Warnoff is just in a two-year seat. So he's coming up and you better believe they're concerned about Stacey Abrams running for governor. <laughs> believe it. Yeah. <laughs> and then Arizona has two Democratic senators. I mean, who would have thunk it? You know, so um, it's a power grab. But also, that's why local elections are so important because there's so many. Um, you know, they can do that because they they have the House and the Senate and or the governorship. You know, uh, elections have consequences. Elections have consequences. As you said, elections. You know, local elections are important um, across the board. I, I'm from downstate Illinois, as you know, and you know, you can just, I, I believe it's important to, there's a reason why we have two parties and there's a reason why we ought to be able to, to work amongst each other. But I do think that it's, it's a different, I, I, it was, as I said to you earlier, is this really America? You know, <laughs> the, the way that we're, we're functioning. So it is our, the, the hard work and the heavy lifting that you're doing with your colleagues and uh, not only the Illinois congressional constitution, the delegates, but, but uh, just the work across the, are you bringing me another question, Amanda? <laughs> 
Okay. I was just getting ready to close up and I saw her and it was like, you should see our setup in here. It's very interesting because we're, um, you know, we're not as we would be, you know, at, at Maggiano. So I, got it's very, it. I saw her, I was like, I'm getting ready to wrap. And it looks like she's getting ready to bring me another question. So, um, so this is a wonderful question from someone we both know, Makita Johnson Brooks of MJ Design. What are your thoughts on support for the long haul efforts of COVID and ongoing systems that they may be needed? That's actually a really, really important question because um, as we t- I had a meeting two days ago about what going back into the office might look like um, and the long haulers, that's a whole that's a whole nother segment. So thank yeah. you for your question, Makita. And I will let the Congresswoman answer that. Yeah, I think that um, we we need to continue our research and following um those that are considered, I know they don't just call it long haulers, but uh, whatever the other name is that we, we have to continue to follow uh, those folks and get as much information as possible. I know I had a couple of staffers that had COVID and long after COVID had passed, when they shared that they still didn't have taste or, you know, it still um, was hard if they walked around too much or, and even my cousin actually that had uh COVID, she, she's older though, but she said some of the same things also, but no um, research and resources and money, you know, will be put into that, you know, also, did she ask me about the office? One more time. Was it just about long haul? I know you said something about going back into the office. No, I said I had a meeting two days ago about what going back into the office might oh, look oh. like. And, you know, that's a whole, you know, for, for many corporations, both private and public, um, just trying to figure out, you know, how we, you know, go in. Um, I had a conversation with Cook County President Tony Preckwinkle earlier this week, and she was telling me that, you know, many of them are back in, but they're very strategic and they're very phased and, and staged as to how they're going into the office. So our return to whatever, um, I guess I use the term very carefully, normal would look like is going to be very different, I think. Um, it's just going to be very different, but you guys are doing the hard work and we are looking to you all to continue um, guiding us. And as, as you said, the the coming down to the local area is so important. We can see that, like you said, with some of the um, elections and things like that with some of these laws. I can't imagine not being able to have water if I was standing outside for a long time trying to vote. I just, I can't wrap my mind around that. Um, but we will continue these conversations. You know that you are always welcome at City Club. We enjoy having you here. You are one of the legislators that we know we can go to and get the real deal. Uh, we appreciate being able to talk to you. I'm a little biased, of course. Um, but needless to say, you have your years, your years membership. And I don't know if you can see the, can the see infamous. It. Can you see it? I don't know if I'm doing a, how do they yeah. do on the, can you, there you go. Can see you it. see the, <laughs> our um, wonderful, see, these are actually very good mugs. I like them. I like them so much. Um, Amanda worked really hard to, to get those, those great mugs in. We can't thank you enough for your time. We thank you. Tell the president that we um, appreciate him allowing you to speak to the city club of Chicago <laughs> while you should have been listening and focused in on him on your most important uh, initiative, which is, is gun control. And we, we appreciate you. We can't say it enough. Congresswoman, you are doing such great work and um, we are immensely proud of you here in Chicago. And we thank you for your time. Did you want to say anything before we close? Just thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me and, uh, you know, really keep hope alive. That, that's how I feel that we are coming out of, you know, the dark. But again, people have to do their part, too, with the mask and social distancing and, 
you know, washing our hands, but thank all of you uh, for your interest and thank you for all the questions. And John Litchfield, I will get back with you. <laughs> John, she's going to get back to you. And we'll look forward to hearing from you, if not a year from now, certainly if something pops up and, and you want to talk to the to, to, to the City Club audience, we are more than happy to have you. You are always welcome here, Congresswoman. Thank you so much. Thank you Bye. so much. We'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you, everyone. Have a good afternoon.